0: NAD Ministerial presents Leadership Effect. Learning Effective Leadership Lessons with Ivan Williams. I want for us to turn there to the Old Testament. I'm gonna read. Welcome it.
1: to EH. The- <laughs> and this morning we're having a baby dedication, you know, every now and then. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy spirit. We're about to go eat. We want to thank you for the food. Is there a second to the motion? To present to you the happiest newlyweds in all the land. Muy buenos días, amigos, hermanos y familias. God, give us strength and
2: power to live like you told us to live.
0: Today, Debelier Snell.
2: Preaching being a natural gift, I think there's some gifts that God has given me in terms of some unique insights, mm. but you know, I, I have to really work hard at it. Uh, I'm a manuscript sure. preacher. I have to kind mm. of put in the time to kind of really make it all come together. Right. And even though I, I was working hard on my sermons and trying to grow in that area, one of the things that just became really clear, and I think it was one of those kind of humbling things, because I assumed that if you preached hard and you were diligent in the teaching of the word, that you would see growth in a, in a, in a brief, in a quick time, in a quick way. Numerically. I thought gotcha. you would see it happen in an exponential fashion, but one of the things that preaching doesn't do is it does not allow you to change a culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's it may be the obvious gift that may give you credibility through the honeymoon period of your time <laughs> in the district, sure. but it, it has very little to do with changing the culture, establishing an infrastructure.
0: Welcome to the Leadership Effect Podcast. If you want to keep going and growing, you've come to the right place. But this is more than a podcast, it's a leadership platform. It's a resource center we designed just for you. We'll tell you more about the resources later and how you can connect. The gospel is communicated in many different ways or methods. One of those ways is through preaching, called the Last Pulpit Prince. Dr. Gardner C. Taylor said the preacher has two currencies, the currency of personal integrity and of language integrity. Our guest, Dr. Deblier Snell, sure is a preacher filled with the gifted currency of gospel-centric language. He'll share his viewpoint about preaching. You'll be inspired and enlightened about the importance of preaching. Preaching. Dr. Snell is the senior pastor of the First Church of Seventh-day Adventist located in Huntsville, Alabama. Let's listen and learn from his conversation with our host, Ivan William.
2: Well, it's funny because when you ask about the preaching, one of the things that Mississippi taught me is that preaching does not grow a church. Um, you know, I think you come out of Andrews and you, you're ready to kind of put into practice sure. so many the things that you've learned. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we... And when I say, you know, when you talk about preaching being a natural gift, I think there's some gifts that God has given me in terms of some unique insights. Mm. But, you know, I I have to really work hard at it. Uh, I'm a manuscript sure. preacher. I have to kind mm. of put in the time to kind of really make it all come together. Right. And even though I, I was working hard on my sermons and trying to grow in that area, one of the things that just became really clear, and I think it was one of those kind of humbling things because I assume that if you preached hard and you were diligent in the teaching of the word, that you would see growth in a in a in a brief, in a quick time, in a quick way. Numerically. I, numerically. I thought gotcha. you would see it happen in an exponential fashion. Okay. But one of the things that preaching doesn't do is it does not allow you to change a culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's it may be the obvious gift that may give you credibility Through the honeymoon period of your time in the district, but it it has very little to do with changing the culture, establishing an infrastructure, and I think one of the things that I was seeing is I'm kind of expecting to see more people walking through the doors, more of a buzz. You know, it really did not make much of a difference at all in terms of the growth of the church.
1: I'm talking to a preacher, and people listening will say, "Really? Mm -hmm. I'm shocked that." Dr. Snell would say that, mm-hmm. so if if not the preaching, what have you found to be the impactful uh, area of growing the church, changing the culture and leading people. Come yeah. on
2: now. No, no. So I don't want to diminish it and say it's, it's not consequential at all. So it's I, a part of, it's it. a part of it. Okay. But it's, it's not the end all be all. Okay. So that for instance, you know, when you move into that kind of small rural church district, a big part of it is, is changing, changing a culture. You know, yeah. there are times it, I think many of us, uh, no matter you know and i think this goes across different sizes but again there are times where you inherit inherit a culture of apathy sometimes you inherit a culture of indifference right. maybe there's just so much of a volatile mix of people where there's just a lot of contention. And what I'm saying is, I, I don't think that preaching solves that. I think it helps you establish a standard and it kind of calls people back to whatever the, the standard of scripture is okay. and how it, it should impact that culture. But I think when I'm talking about now, so that for instance, there are things that were happening, say in my, my smaller two churches, mm-hmm. where there was an infrastructure that needed to be built. Deacons needed to know how to function elders needed to know what their responsibility was, even just when it came down to music. Now, again, our church was not going to be musically what some of our larger churches were, but really establishing and saying, listen, okay, whatever we do musically, mm-hmm. we're going to do this with excellence sure. so that if we sing, he lives, we're going to sing it like he's actually alive. <laughs> and I think that those are the kind of things that we kind of can come in as pastors and make surface change, yes. meaning like you can go in and say that you know, you're used to kind of walking in in a procession. And coming down the middle, you say we're going to come down the side. You can come in and say we're going to do a praise team and kind of put that stuff in place, but that's still surface. But what I'm talking about are the things of just kind of really correcting things, you know, establishing core values. Saying, "Listen, you know, evangelism is going to be something that we prioritize and it's going to be reflected in everything that we do mm. from the way our bulletin reads to the way we structure our budget. To the way we interact with our guests, so even a part of like changing that culture. I remember there would be Sabbaths where during Sabbath school time, the conversation would always dissolve into why these people out here don't have the truth and why they just won't accept the truth and why they're just following you know blindly their leader. Sure. But that conversation would even happen even when we had guests amongst us. Mm. So you're talking about those people while they're sitting right there, <laughs> right? You know, with the intent to try to win them in. And so those are the kind of things, what I'm saying culturally, we gotta change our language, the way we interact with people. And that's a heavy lift. And those are the things that you don't see change overnight. It's delayed fruit. But you've got to be willing to kind of go through the hard process of establishing a standard, repeating it, creating a culture of accountability, Mm -hmm. creating a culture of gratitude so that leaders don't get burned out and just kind of want to serve that one year or two. And then they want to move on to something else. And it's just heavy and it doesn't really come with a whole lot of rewards imminently. This is the thing about churches is I think that they all kind of have their, their own culture, their heritage, and rightly or wrongly, they're very proud of it, very content with it, and very comfortable with it. Yes. And so one of the things I think a leader has to be mindful of, because there'll be times where as a pastor, I would think to myself, everybody sees this as a problem or recognizes there's a deficiency yeah. why is nobody addressing it or speaking to it but right. i think that's kind of what we're called to do as as leaders mm. because you know change is not going to come about apart from the vision of a bold man or woman who has been breathed on by the holy spirit and giving clear directives going forward. And so I think where his first church was a little bit different than my previous two churches, where you're talking about a a strong church that was an anchor church for our conference, uh, that had great leadership well before, you know, the day I ever set foot here. But there was a specific, um, I think, reason that God sent us here was to really put a strong emphasis on moving us kind of outside of the walls of the church, Um, in terms of being able to really engage the community in a much deeper and more intimate level and to really kind of create a culture where, you know, our growth is not necessarily just fed by, you know, being connected or near an institution like Oakwood, but that we're actually seeing people transition from being an unchurched person, Mm. a non-believing person, but through intentional evangelism, seeing these people become true born-again Christians and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: You were blessed to be bold enough for God to do something different, mm-hmm. and you created quite a buzz. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you did, and it had an evangelistic impact. Sure. And so one of the things that our, our goal every year, from the, from the
2: outreach initiatives to the mm-hmm. evangelistic initiatives, our whole thing is, is, is about giving the gospel a chance. Okay. Because one of the things that would actually frustrate me in some of those earlier churches is that even when you put time into preaching your sermon, by the time you make an appeal, you're, you're kind of already at a standstill because there's nobody to call to Christ. Sure. So like one of the things that we're intentional about doing is making sure that there is a steady stream of unchurched people who have never heard the gospel, have never had an opportunity to act upon the gospel consistently walking through the doors of the church. Hmm. So we do some things that look like traditional evangelism, but we've been able to simply broaden our definition of evangelism and widen our latitude so that we can reach an additional group of people so one of the things that we did and I think you know it caused a stir throughout North America in terms mm-hmm. of in the Adventist world was having um, what we called a Sunday morning surge service mm-hmm. and if I can tell you how that came about sure it was really basically as we were getting ready to move into this new church one of the things that would happen is we would come over on Sunday mornings we would have prayer breakfast we would do painting landscaping in preparation for the grand opening mm-hmm. and what would happen is we had sign they said coming soon first seven day Adventist church we had gone to two services in our old church just completely outgrew it it just was yeah. not where we could make our home uh, permanently so what would happen is we would come over on Sunday mornings and do work and what would happen is when people saw the cars in the parking lot the people from the community would come in sometimes yeah. Bible in hand church clothes on because wow. they thought that the new church had opened up sure. and as you can see you know your listeners when baby see their apartments all around right. uh, where the church building is located and so I remember literally walking away uh, walking away sadly one day as this one lady was leaving the church church clothes on Bible in hand because there was no service going on mm. and I remember the Holy Spirit like hitting me with this force it was kind of like the Lord spoke to me when I decided to propose to my wife <laughs> and when I finally decided I was going to accept the call into the ministry it was like that kind of moment right. where the Lord just impressed me that if people would come into an Adventist church on Sunday morning why not use Sunday morning to teach them the truth of God's word Sure. and so now this thing blows my mind uh, Doc (laughs) is I go to the spirit of prophecy because I remember seeing Ellen White and the peers uh, pioneers talk about Sunday work before right. and how like all of those little areas around PUC, Calistoga, Cherry Mound, right. how they would have these meetings, open air meetings, church meetings, how when they evangelize in Austria, how they would have these Sunday meetings to kind of nullify the biases that came against us as Seventh-day Adventists. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> so we, I honestly, so we prayed on this for probably six months, you know, almost probably nine months. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the end, I think of 2014, my heart, my heart ripened to the point where the Lord was just like, the time is now. Wow. And so I remember we, we stepped out in faith and we ran what we were gonna call an eight week semester yes. of Sunday morning surge meetings. It's a plain plainclothes meeting, it would meet from 10 to 11. At 11 o'clock, we would have a, a pancake, you know, full pancake breakfast for everybody who attended. <laughs> and so, you know, we did basically the same things you would do in an evangelistic meeting. Every Sunday morning, we would come playing clothes. Our praise team would sing three songs. I would give a welcome and we would go right into the Word. Sure. And then we'd be done by 11 o'clock. So we would preach like creation. we preach salvation, second coming, state of the dead. I would preach the Sabbath on, uh, on Sunday, <laughs> Sunday morning. Sure. Um, and I would always choose to preach it like on week six or seven as we're drawing near to the end. And the beautiful thing about this is that by the time you get to the Sabbath message, you already know who's going to join. Because each week during the welcome, I would let them know this is a special service of the first seven day Adventist church. And then what would happen is we would see people, we'd invite them to come to divine worship prayer meeting. So I'm seeing a cluster of people that because they were blessed by the service on Sunday, I see them coming on Sabbath. I see them coming on Wednesday. You see them already buying in. They would say, pastor, well, you, you, I'm not a member, but you know, you're my pastor. Uh, You know, I'm an associate member. I see somebody maybe join a choir. I want to be a part of a ministry. So by the time we preach the Sabbath, I kind of have a feel of who's going to already join because they're already investing in the life of the church. Mm. And honestly, man, it's been a beautiful thing. I think we've done three semesters over A three year stretch. And we probably added probably about 85 people uh, to the church. To God be the glory. Just by opening up the doors on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And so the services are very simple. The teaching is very direct and plain. And one of the things I think some leaders would love to know about this is that the people that join, the retention rate is really high. Mm -hmm. And and one of the reasons that happens is because in a traditional meeting, we're kind of asking people to change their whole worldview of God, their lifestyle, Sabbath diet in the course of two to three weeks sure but because these meetings last 8 to 10 weeks they're making that decision over the course of a few months the other thing that helps with retention is because what happens is you don't realize well I, I don't think a lot of people realize is that uh, most times people join the Adventist Church at the expense of a former support system yeah meaning because they're joining other friends and family that you know that have a tradition that's Baptist or Methodist, they come down on them really hard. Right, and when they're the only person in their family that's in the church, it's hard for them to cling to the faith. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when these people join, because again, mm-hmm. they're joined over the course of two or three months there is a support system that's forming around them. They begin to join friend, connect with friends. They begin to develop a new support system before they join. Mm. So that by the time they make that doctrinal shift, mm-hmm. what's happened is a support group has already formed around them and that it increases the likelihood of them being able to cling to their faith or be able to endure that time of persecution that I believe is inevitable. And it's not necessarily them being jailed, but persecution is essentially when you're ridiculed for your your spiritual beliefs sure. and when that time comes there's enough of a wall of support around them to help them kind of endure that time of testing
1: and that's a great testimony mm-hmm. over 85 and mm-hmm. and the way that you've done it you know it's very interesting to me why would there be such a buzz Sunday morning when mm-hmm. we can preach the same message as Sunday night and nobody says nobody anything? Nobody says anything. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's
2: crazy. Man. And, and I had, you know, even with the opposition. And this is the irony about it, is that there was this major uproar. But I've still, unto this day, not have anybody come to me and say, Pastor, this, you know, you're, bi- you're violating this Bible or spirit of prophecy principle and the reason that's never happened is because there, there is none. Um, <laughs> there. And so you even see it in, in the book of Acts that, you know, again, I think a part of it was due to persecution. But they preached on the first day of the week. Um, you know, the night when Paul preached and raised Eutychus, that was the first day of the week, so on and so forth. So but there's no there's no principle that's being violated right? because some people say, well, we, we've been telling people not to worship on Sunday. And I was like, I, I hope that's not all we've been telling people. Sure. I hope we've been introducing people to Jesus
1: and right, teaching right. them the principles principles. principles of
2: Sabbath not
1: just to change your your day of worship well you know there is insight here for me just Mm -hmm. talking to you in these few moments about um culture change Mm -hmm. and about reaching people by any means necessary Mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes we stay in a box yeah or if it hasn't been done this way. So, so I, I wanna be real. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is a podcast for other ministers. Your sure. colleagues will be listening. Yeah. Uh, did you have any pushback from your members?
2: No, so, and one of the things that made this, that, that groundswell uh, bearable, was that we were really solidly united here on the ground.
0: We will return to this important conversation in just a moment. Hey, have you heard about the Best Practices Book Club? We believe leaders are readers, and we've already read best selling books like Isabel Wilkerson's book Cast, fascinating, Ty Gibson's book The Heavenly Trio, and Todd Balsinger's book Canoeing the Mountains, just to name a few. If you're interested, go to nadministerial.com to find out when the next book club event will take place. That's NADMinisterial.com to join the Best Practices Book Club with Michael Campbell and Ivan Williams. I hope you can join us. It will be an investment you won't regret. Also, before the podcast ends, Ivan Williams will share what he has learned in a short segment. Now back to our conversation with Dr. Deblier Snell, Senior Pastor of the First Church of Seventh-day Adventist located in Huntsville, Alabama.
1: So you didn't just stick your neck out with this culture change. Oh no no no
0: no no no, no no no.
2: So like so one of the things that happened because I think at this point I had been here probably about four years. Okay. So when we talk about culture change, there's some core values, and so you you mentioned something, you know, reaching people by any means. Yeah. So that's that had become a part of our DNA at this point in time got it so like the church they understand the the heart of their pastor at that point in time so we let them know this is going to be something different so we from our pastoral staff to our elders board at the beginning of the year where we have a meeting with all of our leaders and anybody that's involved in ministry we lay the vision for this out before them with great clarity we give them a theology for it from the word we show this to them in the spirit of prophecy as well so that you know and not everybody is like you know, completely on board, but they get what we're trying to do. And one of the amazing things about it was that these Sunday morning meetings, like a lot of my, the people that came, they were our our older members. They, Mm. they loved this because, you know, one of the funny things about it is that we have members who have been trying to get their members to maybe their family and friends to come to a Sabbath service who would not come. Okay. They would not come to maybe a revival because they knew what that was all about. Sure. But like these same people that would not come for the, any, to, any of the other services would come without any coercion on right. Sunday because their people especially here in the South, that only make room to entertain spiritual things on Sunday morning. Wow. And our whole thing is if that's the time you're going to give me to talk to you about Jesus and to introduce you to these unique truths that I, that I love and have been so impactful to my life, mm. then that's the time I've got to take to be able to reach you. Oh, so yeah. we, were, we were united here on the ground, even though there was a great hubbub from <laughs> outside.
1: What have you learned about being an effective leader, pastor, mm-hmm. preacher? Yeah. Uh, what are some of the milestones? What, so, what were some things you learned in relationship to people, uh, leading people? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are you still learning?
2: So there, there are a number of things that kind of jump <laughs> out. I mean, that's a loaded question. But I think the, the first thing is, um, I think if I could encourage everybody, and again, I don't I've not perfected this, I'm still learning it. But I would just encourage, especially any young leader, the first thing I I would admonish you to do is to train your ears to be able to hear the voice of God. Mm -hmm. Because I think that there are times where when we approach our members, we almost come like attorneys trying to make a case why we should do this. And the problem with that is, for every argument you can make, whether you use Bible, um, excuse me, whether you use spirit of prophecy or whether you use church growth literature, there's always a counter argument that can be made. Mm. But I think that when you, when we are hearing very clearly the voice of God, I think what it does is it allows you with boldness and conviction to stand in and into with your people, and not kind of talk as one who is trying an experiment, Mm -hmm. but to be able to talk with one, uh, talk as one with authority, who has heard the voice of God. And I think that's one of the things that's missing from spiritual leadership Mm. is just really the credibility and the willingness to say, this is the will of God for us. Mm. And I think that if as a leader, you've established yourself as a person of of high spiritual acumen, high spiritual credibility, I think, you know, whereas before there's a counter argument for everything else, Mm. but there's no real counter argument for saying, this is what God is telling us to do. Mm. Um, And the truth is is I think with everything in scripture, it begins with a vision. And I don't think God gives vision to committees. I've never seen that in the scripture. He gives vision to a man or woman who has been called. Sure. And I think that there's a biblical paradigm for that. You know, kind of Moses and Aaron, Aaron, uh, Aaron and Miriam got a little familiar with Moses. Yes. They're like, man, doesn't God speak to us as well? Mm-hmm. God's anger breaks out against them. It's just like, right. now I do, I speak to you in visions and dreams, right? but I communicate with him on a whole different plane. Sure. And, and so I think that there, there has to be a time where, we are able to step in because we've heard the voice of God. We've seen the vision with great clarity. I mean, we we see the vision with great detail mm. so that we can communicate the vision of tomorrow with the detail of today. Mm. Um, and, and we lay it out there and we
1: connect it to our spirituality. I think that's got to be something we've w- we got to be willing to do. So Deb Lair, let's go one more step mm-hmm. in. In all of the busyness here mm-hmm. of being a pastor, Yeah and leading this great congregation. There's a lot of clutter, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of clatter, there's a lot of noise. How do you hear God's voice?
2: So I think one of the things is, and I I learned this uh, through Foster's book, um, Celebration of Discipline, is the discipline of stillness. So like one of the things I do take time to do, and I have some habits that I have, but one of them is I I take time to be still pretty regularly. Sometimes it's right here in my office. Sometimes I go right upstairs to the auditorium, the sanctuary, and I just sit still. Like, you know, the custodians, when they see me just kind of in there walking around, they kind of know (laughs) the pastor's (laughs) just in there. He's talking to himself, (laughs) they don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just walking back and forth. Because I think what happens is, I think God is always talking to us. Right. I just think our world is so cluttered and sometimes you can be so busy. And I just think that's why you see Jesus stealing away, the Bible says, to solitary places where he could pray and be still. And I think that that's a part of the job. Our job is to be able to hear from God. I think that's what separates us from just being kind of that person that makes visits or does good works right. is to be that mouthpiece for God. And so I just think the discipline of stillness, of just putting some barriers and barricades around still time mm. where you can hear God's voice, write things down, you know, ask God questions and allow him to just download the future into your heart.
1: Thank you, thank you. What are you still learning Uh, in being the best or most effective leader.
2: I think in addition to that, I think, and this is something that just God continues to reinforce it, is just that progress is expensive. Mm. Um, It never goes on sale. (laughs) Um, you can, there's no coupon for it. I just think progress always comes at a cost to the leader. Um, And even though I think, you know, even I've been here now eight years and, and for the most part, we're on one accord, we kinda, there's a, we speak the same language, there's a symmetry that exists. But, you know, because we're not satisfied, we're mm-hmm. constantly pushing toward that next thing, okay. and you know, and that push is gonna always be met with some resistance. Some who don't see it, some who feel like we've done enough. Sure. Um, and I just think that you know, that progress always comes at a cost. So that even I, I sit on this side, being able to you know talk with Serge about with great excitement and relief. But there was a stretch where, man, that was very painful, you know, to Mm. see people that you respected or loved or you maybe considered a friend, um, you know, attack some things in such a volatile way mm. um, to the point where I even had to kind of tell my mom and dad and wife, least, I need you guys to stay away from social media for a little bit because this sure. is the season that we're in. So whether it was the transition from our old church to this church, it was a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that if I was supposed to live to be 100 because of this, I'm going to die when I'm 95 because it's, mm. it's just that intense at times. Sure. Whether it was surge, whether it was the the blackout, uh, the NFL blackout that we we. A, be a part of sure. all of that stuff is is expensive, um, and it comes at a cost. And so I just think that if there is the belief that okay, once I get or uh, reach a certain rapport or get to a certain place in the work that I'll be able to bypass that cost or yeah. the criticism that comes along with, you know, bold strides in ministry. That's right. a deception each and every time you take a spiritual step that's going to impact the kingdom of darkness, mm. you need to expect for it to be attacked violently by Satan right. and realize that he's going to work through human vehicles. And I think that's why Ellen White, well, you know, the statement that she made about Jesus has to be our mantra, how he was not elated by the applause and praise mm. of men neither was he discouraged by their censure and their critiques. You just got to remain even. Sure. And and there was a point where With certain things, when the vitriol got very hot, the thing that anchored me was that Mm. early in ministry, so we talk about the things you take from early to now, is there some things I remember early on as a younger man taking off the table. I knew God told me to do it, Mm. but I took it off the table because of the people or I felt like they wouldn't go with it or they would be offended by by it. And I wound up undergoing the censure (laughs) and chastening of God as a result Mm. of that. And one of the decisions I did make early on is that if... You know, if it's a matter of people being mad uh-huh. and upsetting God, mm. then then people mm. are going, they're going to have to get over it. Sure. Um, I will not undergo the chastening of God ever again because mm. I sided with people and sure. catered to them as opposed to the vision that God gave. I
1: want you to finish this sentence for me. Yes, sir. Leadership effectiveness is best understood or viewed how? I think it's
2: best viewed. And understood as really a life of servant, of life of service. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is. a life of service that, especially in the church context, okay. that, that gains influence through credible, meaningful spirituality. Mm. And the one thing I'll, I'll say too about leadership is that it just, it takes everything you got. Yeah. Um. You've got to be committed to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, there are times where and I'm not advocating like work life imbalance. Sure. But I remember thinking early on that if I was ever able to be a part of a growing church ministry, mm-hmm. it, that I would not take it for granted. But I, I would give it everything that I have that I would get up early. I would stay yes. late. Um, I would not cheat that opportunity because, you know, one of the things, you know, growing a church it is hard i mean sure. it is a big lift yeah. and when you when you move it in the right direction one of the things it does is it creates more work and more work creates more work. And, you know, never we, and it never stops <laughs> and you got to be fully invested to it. And so, you know, I, you know, I don't always get to do a lot of the things that I would like to do because I'm, I'm pouring into this ministry. I'm pouring into the vision. Uh, like, Paul, I want to be poured out like a drink offering. I don't want to leave right. nothing mm-hmm. left to chance. We're going to you know cross every T, dot every I, look under every rock. You know, it just mm-hmm. requires everything you have and even what you don't think that you have. Wow. And so I'm, I'm not advocating being in balance or neglecting your family. I think right. you've got to prioritize your spirituality, your physical health, your family, because your ministry is an outgrowth of all of those things. Mm. So your, your inner world has to be firm in order for your out, outer world to be able to flourish. Yeah. But the thing I do want people to, to understand is that you, you've got to commit all the way. Yeah. Uh, it's like you said, nobody can put their hand on the plow and, and mm. look back. Look back. You, you've got to put everything you have into it.
1: Mark Batterson wrote a book called All In. All In, yeah. Sounds like you are. Mm-hmm. Pastor Snell, thank you, man. Yes, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to ask you if you would pray for our pastors as we close and pray for them to hear God's voice. Would you do that for me? Surely. All right. Our Father and our precious Lord, again, we thank you so much for the privilege
2: that is ours to be able to lead. And Father, we're not treated as a burden or an obligation or a duty, but we thank you that you looked beyond our faults and you still saw something worth using. Mm -hmm. And so Lord, I just pray for every worker, every leader that shall be a part of this podcast. I pray that they would be able to hear your voice in very clear and acute tones. I pray in a very special way that you Would pour vision that is fresh and compelling into their hearts and into their souls. And not only do I pray that you would grant them vision, I pray that you would give them the courage to act upon that which you have given them. I ask in a very special way that you would fill their hearts with boldness and with clarity. And I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they move into the implementation stage. And then, dear God, I pray that you would just give them the internal fortitude to be able to beat back discouragement, criticism into endure the buffeting process that is a part of a lifestyle of progress in leadership. And so, God, I just ask that you would help them to not become weary in well-doing, but to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labor is not in vain. So, Lord, I pray that you would place a hedge of protection around them, around their families, around their vision. But above all things, place a hedge of protection around their faith is my prayer. In the awesome name of Jesus Christ, I pray it. Amen. Amen.
0: Okay, I hope you wrote down the key takeaways from today's podcast. That was rich. And now, the special feature we call Here's What I've Learned.
1: Here's what I've learned. Are you an active listener? Do you listen to understand? Or do you listen while mentally fidgeting with the ready-made responses or even giving feedback with pre-solutions prepared before the conversation even happens? Listening is an active process that involves focusing on what is said without allowing our thoughts to invade the process. In life, leadership and ministry, Listening is one of the most important skills you can have. How well you listen has a major impact on your job effectiveness and on the quality of your relationships with others. Ministry leaders fail when they fail to listen. To listen is to learn. To listen is to understand. And your team, your coworkers, Your leaders in general feel better when they are heard, but not just heard, because there is a difference between being heard and being actively listened to. People who feel listened to see the listening leaders as having more empathy, being emotionally intelligent and supportive. Why not try to actively listen today by sharing what you heard a person say to you. Then they will feel not just heard, but listened to. Here's what I've learned. Thanks again for joining us on Leadership
0: Effect. We are your resource center, your growth platform. Every podcast will encourage you on your growth journey. Just go to nadministerial.com to find what you need. Whether you want to access all of the resources or find out more about our interviews, gain more insight from our guests, you won't be disappointed. Tell a friend about us. We're here to help you grow. Keep going so you can keep growing for God's glory. Leadership Effect. Leadership Effect is a production of NAD Ministerium. Executive producer, Ivan Williams. Designed by and Hilton Hill for NAD from anything is possible. Written and produced by Ivan Williams. Edited by Taizi Snyder.